Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, August the 16th, and we continue to receive the richness of God's grace in Christ in Hebrews chapter 6. In chapter 5, we heard of Christ being the appointed high priest and the source of our salvation. In chapter 6, the author begins to teach and exhorts us to grow in Christ through the basics of who he is. This is something that we always need to remind ourselves of because I know when I started at my congregation here, the first thing we did was go back to the small catechism. And how many times do you read through the small catechism? It's so small, only six parts to it. And how many times I and the people in my church said, oh, I kind of I forgot that. And so today, the author keeps it simple for us to grow this morning and the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Giving us God's strong word, we have with us Pastor Tim Sims of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. Pastor Sims, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good to be here. Thank you for the privilege. Pastor Sims, we well, it's been a while since you've been on. I looked it up, and you were with us when we were in 1 Kings chapter 8. That was, you know, around yeah. the time where I had a lot of people mocking me for not being able to pronounce any of the names very well. So um, I'm past that point. Now we're talking a lot of Jesus. I can pronounce Jesus. So for you, <laughs> give us an update for you, uh, your family, and the work of the saints in Chester, Illinois. Well, we're uh, about ready to get School started, matter of fact, starts today uh, at St. John Lutheran School, and uh, so that's always a, an exciting time. Uh, there's always an energy that returns to the uh, church and school campus when the kids are back, so really excited about that. Probably a little more excited than my kids are to be back <laughs> in school, <laughs> uh, but things are, things are going well. Good, good. So, and you're, you have a 10th grader and a, what, 8th grader? And a what? What do you have? What what grades? And a sixth. Yep. Tenth, eighth, sixth. And eighth yep. and sixth. That's awesome. Look yeah. at that. Fun times. Fun times had by all. So as far as uh, how was the enrollment and all that at the school? Things are pretty good. We uh, we're ready to get back in it, and I know uh, I know having one in high school and two in in grade school yeah. is a little bit of a challenge as a parent, but. Uh, they seem to be doing well. They go to our oldest goes to Christ our Savior Lutheran High School uh, here in the area. It's a good school, and so we're we're getting at it and and uh, getting ready to go. So we're excited about it. It's uh, another reminder, and, and and one of the joys I have is we don't have a school here, and I, you know I've never really been connected with a school. But what a joy is to hear of the blessings that come through our schools. So we continue to pray for our teachers, our pastors who have schools. At the same time, as I have children in junior high myself, is to continue to pray for our young people as they enter junior high. It's a time range where most people say, "I'm glad I'm not in junior high anymore," but then we kind of forget to pray and help those who are in junior high. So pray for pastors. Sims's kids, I guess, pray for mine as well. But also, uh, we laid at the Lord's feet and asked for his blessing, especially um, knowing all that goes into the world today. So, Pastor, as we talk about that, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings as we study God's Word? Sure. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Heavenly Father, humble our hearts and speak to us through your word, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we may believe and trust in Jesus Christ, in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Sims, we one one thing I've been trying to do throughout the book of Hebrews is the length, the the words are so th- rich, and so I would say even thick, um, because there's so much uh, being said. Doctor John Kleinig, when we started our study, talked about how he sees it as a sermon that was a, a combination of all the sermons ever written by this author, and uh, mm. it's like wow, okay, so we put them all together. And when you put them all together, that's a lot of words, a lot of thought, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of Holy Spirit. And so it's something that I feel like we want it to hit us as much as possible. So here's what I want to do. Here's my, here's my proposal, is that I will read all of chapter 6, and then we will come back and talk about themes and go through it a few verses at a time so that we hear it twice during our time. So um, any thoughts to that? Sure, that works. Let's do it. Hebrews chapter 6, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Hebrews chapter 6, and he writes, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him, holding him to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, being cursed, and it end and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show some earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we would have fled for refuge, might have some strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the hope, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
So there is chapter 6. Pastor Sims, as we hear these words, um, once again, it's rich in grace. There's a lot actually very deep that it's going to be hard to kind of, I would say, unpack as I've been studying this. So, Pastor, what would you say about the context or the background that will help us start off on the right foot this morning? Well, you know, it's it's hard to be critical of those who decide where the chapters and verses begin and end, because <laughs> I wouldn't do any better, right? Um, and yet, here with this one, I it's almost like you need to go back to what will have been on the you know, the broadcast the day before at the end of chapter five, uh, because you got a therefore, right? Mm -hmm. That's where we're starting. And, uh, and it seems as though there are some, uh, he brings right before that, uh, the Hebrews writer brings up, uh, the problem that, uh, you need milk. You're not ready for solid food yet, basically. Mm. Um, but you need to move on to solid food. And, uh, and so I, I almost feel like I wish that maybe six would have began a little bit earlier than that, but then, you know, like I said, people much more faithful and, and smarter than, than I am, uh, made the decisions on these chapters and there's never a perfect way to divide it. Mm -mm. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you get into this and it's, it seems that there is a struggle with, Hey. Uh, continue to be in the word and in the gifts of Christ in order to continue to grow, go from milk to solid food, go from immaturity to maturity, or even the word could actually be, even if you wanted to, you could, you could translate it as perfection mm -hmm. uh, there in six verse one. Um, and so that seems to be the, the dilemma is that because people are not, continuing to be in these things or growing in them, some are even falling away. We'll see. And that seems to be a big struggle that the preacher, as Dr. Kleinig put it, is addressing here. And you're exactly right, because you have in chapter 5, you know, 1 through 10, he's speaking about Melchizedek. He's, he's talking about him being a high priest. He's comparing him to a high priest very rich in the understanding of who Jesus is. And then there's that transition of talking about milk, solid food, and chapter 6 definitely runs into that. I was making, done a lot, you know, studying this. There's a lot of therefores. Um, it's like, uh, <laughs> as, a good, as a good father, you would, you know, your kid asks you a question, or my dad did this to me at least. You'd ask a question, what do you think about this? And he would say, well, let me tell you a story. So he backtracks, of course, goes way back. And then finally gets to... I tell you that to tell you this, and that's exactly what he's doing, is be careful about apostasy, right? And then, mm -hmm. therefore, here it is. So he's breaking it all down and, and transitioning, sometimes taking longer than he wants to get there. But chapter 6 definitely is one of those therefore moments for us to consider. So any other, any other thoughts um, on that or before we begin reading the verses? Well, let's just dive into the verses, because I think it'll unpack itself. All right. Well, let's go uh, verses 1 through 3. We'll read them once again. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So here, like I said at the beginning, that he's 
trying to move them with, I would say, maybe a, a type of discipleship. How would you define that as he's laying this out to begin? Yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on there. Um, he's, it, it almost looks like he's saying, you know, you mentioned the small catechism earlier. It's almost like, well, don't bother with that. Let's do this instead. That's not really what he's doing. Right. What he's doing is he's laying the foundation and saying, not saying forget about that. He's saying let's build on that. Mm. Okay. And so don't just stay in that. This is your building foundation, but let's go ahead and according to that foundation, let's build on that. And he talks about the foundation almost like almost like an early catechism. Yeah. Right. Repentance. Like like they're gonna know everything, you know, sometimes words are like an iceberg. You see what's above the waterline, but there's a whole lot more going on. And if this person has been your preacher or teacher, you know everything that's underneath the waterline. So he mentioned repentance and faith and the distinguishing, it seems anyway, between washing that they received in baptism as opposed to the ritual washings that were very common in the Jewish communities before a Jesus. And things like laying on of hands, the doctrine of resurrection from the dead, which, which of course they would understand that comes with repentance and faith and forgiveness. And then, of course, the eternal final judgment that, that's still coming. So, uh, we're going to build on these things if God permits. Now, I think as we hear that, I think we should hear echoes of things like the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, mm-hmm. or a phrase we sometimes use in different rites in the church, by the grace of God, yes, I will, you know, kind of thing. Um, the baptism and confirmation rite, we often use uh, that kind of a phrase. So, uh it, they're not, it's not like they're sitting still just waiting on God to do something. It's almost more like uh, God has shown us how these things are going to be done through continued catechesis, through continued worship, uh, and the gifts that come in word and sacrament, and so forth and so on. So these are the building, this is the building foundation. Let's keep on building on that. And this is very important. And then you kind of get into beginning at verse four why this is so important. And it's interesting to me because to for him to say not laying again a foundation, he is reaffirming at the very least the foundation. You know, so it's not like right. we're yeah. gonna go through confirmation class again, but I'm going to continually teach the confirmation principles as we are growing on this foundation, it's almost like a creed of sorts that, okay, yeah, we know God. And then you just keep referencing the, the, the apostles creed throughout. So it's definitely not doing it over per se, but you're definitely rehashing it throughout. How would you just, any thoughts on that? Yeah. And I would even say taking it and then saying, how does this apply to your life in the church or Uh life in, in a fallen sinful world? Uh, And so that's how you go on really from milk to solid food. Um, and that's how you have the strength to endure, which is kind of where this textual, this pericope, if you will, kind of ends up. And I think this is important for us too, is the catechesis, as you said, which is teaching, teaching the basics of the faith never stops. I mean, it's almost like an admittance in verse three, that this is a reality that, this will never stop. We're going to keep teaching. We're going to keep going. And we're going to trust that the Lord's going to give us 
what we need at that time to teach and to preach and to give the gifts of Christ. Um, because if we, you know, and you know this too, and probably for your teachers, the curriculum is there. And every year you go back and say, I probably need to revise this because I didn't, this didn't work or this didn't work or this didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like he's a seasoned teacher. He's been, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's going through all those things, realizing that this is the basics, but we're going to have to make sure that we allow God to lead us in the process. I don't know. You're the pastor with a, with a school. I'm not. So what do you think of that? <laughs> well, and I would say that even goes into adulthood. I think one of the mistakes we make is we hear Jesus say something like, Unless someone, you know, receives the kingdom of God like a little child, they'll never enter it. And so they get this impression that all I really need to know is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. Okay, that's a wonderful assurance. But Jesus is really talking more about trust than he is about knowledge. Mm -hmm. He's not saying don't learn, you know, the entire counsel of God, uh, after all, he's going to tell his disciples, teach everything I have commanded you. <laughs> right. And, and so, uh, I think even for adults, sometimes I think there's almost this misunderstanding that when Jesus says something like that, he just wants us to stay ignorant of, of important things and just remember that Jesus loves you kind of thing. Well, that's important, but the really Jesus is talking about have a childlike trust, not necessarily that if you're capable of learning more, that you just shouldn't. No, that's that's not really what Jesus is getting at. I remember one time during seminary, I don't think it was during one of our classes together, but one of the students asked one of our professors, you know, but 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 Doctor So and So. Uh, why are we going so deep into this? Can't we just keep a simple faith? <laughs> and this particular <laughs> professor was kind of like, every time he would dig a little deeper into a subject, he would point at, at our friend, our mutual friend, and go, all right, you better hold on tight because we're going to get deep. You know, we're going to get deep here. You better hold on tight, you know, and that's, I think. Right, right. <laughs> and it was all in good jest, but it was it's one of those right, reminders yeah. of, you know, we, we want to dig deeper because, and Hebrews attests to this, that when you read Hebrews, yes, you go deeper. Some of it is harder to understand, but when you're able to look at it again and the dots that are connected, the deepness only shows the depth of God's grace and love as opposed to confuses you more. And I think that's something we always have to remind. It shows the depth of God's love and grace and forgiveness for us and our need for it. Um, let a, and then as opposed to being more confused, you get more comfort. So that's, that's our thoughts right. in the first three verses. Let's move on um, to verses sure. 4 through 8 as he continues to teach. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who for the sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." Now, this is where 
it can get confusing. How would you how would you help us out as we read those verses and some say some difficult words to understand? Yeah, they're difficult and maybe uh, not only difficult to understand. There's no question they are, but also uh, since we're on the subject of you know solid food, maybe hard to swallow. Mm. Right. <laughs> right. Um, because uh, and you know this is some pretty stern law and warning. I would say warning as much as law. Um, and, uh, because I'm a simultaneously saint and sinner and the sinner part of me just loves law. I have more notes for this little section than I do have all the other parts, Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of important stuff here. Um, you know, uh, he's referring to those who have been baptized and enlightened. There's some early church fathers that reference, uh, kind of uh, equate being baptized, being enlightened. And we, kind of use that same uh, mm. language in Luther's small catechism in regard to the, the Holy Spirit and enlightened and sanctified and kept me in the one true faith, you know, enlightened me with his gifts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, and there's some stern warning here that um, here's why you need to go on to solid food, because this is life is difficult. The temptations are great and there's constantly going to be trials and tests to get you to fall away. And unfortunately some are going to, Okay. And, uh, and so, and once that happens, uh, well, unfortunately, sometimes for those who never return to the faith, the end is really bad. (laughs) It's judgment, right? And uh, we even have uh, some references here, either to Genesis three, or maybe some teachings of Jesus regarding uh, when it comes to bearing thorns and thistles, you know, it seems like a Genesis three reference. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, Jesus will often make reference to chaff or uh, the useless plant that isn't bearing fruit being thrown into fire and burned and so forth and so on. So this is, this is serious stuff. And uh, there are some people, unfortunately, right away there who are falling away. And he's wanting to warn them about that and the danger of it. And, you know, we as a church do not subscribe to once saved, always saved. Uh, and so we are capable of falling away, and this seems like a, a pretty stern warning about that and the struggle with it. And this is this isn't the only time that the Hebrew writer will bring it up. He touches on it in chapter three, and he'll touch on it a little bit again in in chapter ten. Right. Um, and and so uh, you you know and you've got Jesus in multiple times, Luke eight parable of so, or Matthew twenty four, uh, warning that many will fall away. Um, Peter, who himself knows what it's like to fall and then be reinstated. So we know it's not impossible, even though that's a word that we're going to unpack there. Um, It's not really impossible, but it's extremely difficult. And remember, all things are possible for God. (laughs) But even someone like Peter, who who, uh, uh, Jesus says, you're, you know, Satan has ask for permission to sift you like wheat. But when I restore you, encourage the brothers. Mm. Okay. Mm. So he's going to fall and be restored. And he will later write uh, of the, the problem uh, with those who, uh, who will fall away. And then uh, their judgment actually ends up being worse than had they never believed in the first place. Um, that's, those are pretty harsh words too, right? Mm. And so this is a difficult teaching. Um, the early church really struggled with this particular 
passage, because in the early church, when people were falling away, especially due to persecution, this was actually the portion of Hebrews that often was the center of debate regarding if someone denies Christ because they don't want to be thrown into the arena or whatever else was going to be their fate, uh, can they be restored? And uh, it's really a struggle for the early church for someone like Tertullian in, in, in the 8100s. His answer to that question actually was no. Um, and someone like Cyprian in the in 8200, he says uh, in, a, in a wonderfully uh, gospel-centered statement, those who repent uh, of their denial should eagerly be welcomed back to the Lord's table, you know, and talking about how do we handle these situations, you know, kind of thing. So debating it literally for several centuries. Um, and, you know, this is a, a difficult thing because uh, once someone is baptized and made a disciple, you brought up that word disciple, that means learner, right? And we know to be, bapt- uh, to be a disciple means to be baptized and continue to learn. And it's so that we don't uh, fall away. Uh, and, of course, when we do, we always want to, as the church, our goal is always to restore gently as Paul Paul brings up in Galatians chapter six. So, and it there's a very practical aspect to this when you think of it in reality. So, I think we all have people that we know that were baptized, and I love how you put that. I had made that connection before with this: is that to be enlightened, to be baptized, is to be enlightened. Enlightened us with His gifts by the Holy Spirit. That to be enlightened, to know the truth, and I like how the language he uses of food. Of course, I'm getting hungry as we speak, but have tasted of the goodness (laughs) of the word and have fallen away. So he talks about all the gifts that you receive, who have tasted the heavenly gift, tasted the goodness of the word of God, taste and see the Lord is good, it says in the Psalms. And and then have fallen away. We've experienced this where people have fallen away and rarely, rarely, have we been able to see the fruit of them actually coming back? Like, I mean, like an right. outright denial. Now, we have our stories. Nothing's impossible with God, but you can definitely sense a, a, a sort of lament by the author as he's speaking, is pleading with the Hebrews to stay in Christ. The same thing happens in chapter 4. Hold fast to your confession. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and, and chapter 5, obviously, he talks high language of Christ doing it at all so that people realize it's not up to them, but does not mean we don't hold fast. So pastor, I want to talk more about this on the other side of our break because he literally says, for it is impossible. How do we, how would we put that all together? But we'll talk about that on the other side of our break. We are studying chapter six of Hebrews with pastor Timothy Sims, and we will be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. 
welcome back. We are studying chapter 6 of Hebrews with Pastor Timothy Sims of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. And, and Pastor, I just I, you, you, you broke it down beautifully as far as looking at how, how people can walk away, that there is this reality of thistles and, and thorns and, and the reality of, of, of sin and brokenness it is part of our world. I think verse 4, I can see this happening in my own Bible study, and maybe, maybe I'll study Hebrews, and I'll go with whatever you say right now. But uh, someone says, but pastor, it says it is impossible for them to come back. So we must believe in one saved, always saved. You've already said that, you've already addressed this, but I want to hit it once again because I know that will come up. What would you tell them? Well, there could be the question, and we may not have an absolute answer to this question. What exactly is being addressed there? Uh-huh. Um, because we know, we always let Scripture interpret Scripture. We know from the rest of the Gospels and uh, the Old Testament and uh, and the rest of the New Testament that we're to call people to repentance even when they fall away and restore them, right? So we know it's not impossible in that regard. Uh, it could simply be a reference to the idea that, A, it's very difficult, that the, the word there actually is a dunaton, which means there's no power. It's, it's powerless. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no ability. There's no power. So we could look at that and say, but, but all things are possible with God. God can do it. Yes, well, it's always a miracle of the Holy Spirit when, whenever any of us repents and is brought back to Jesus. Okay, that's not a work that I do, right? Uh, and so it's a beautiful, miraculous thing. The impossibility part, if that's really the intended uh, meaning there, it could simply be a reference to, you know, at some point, uh, you know, we, we like to say things like this. It's never too late to repent. Well, sadly, at some point, it can actually be too late to repent. If someone dies in their apostasy, in their unbelief, it is too late to repent. So I think a better statement is, hey, it's never too early to repent. <laughs> ah, that's, uh, that's what we have in Joel, the text that, that we typically use for Ash Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the bridegroom and the bride, you're about ready to walk down the aisle. Forget about it. Go go and repent um, because you never know what's going to happen. Um, leave your baby or actually better bring them with you, you know, and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where, it's impossible after someone dies for them to be restored. And, and you never know what day or hour, in the words of Jesus, that's going to come. And so uh, stay on this solid food, go from milk to solid food so that you can be built up and made stronger in the faith through the gifts that Christ gives so that you can be steadfast. It's God's work keeping you steadfast in those things. Uh, so that you don't fit into this category of one who has fallen away and ends up condemned for it. I like how this connects to chapter 3. Um, they quote Psalm 95, and like you said, that it's it's never too early to uh, repent. And it's uh, today it says, today, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, it quotes Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Um, to, right. uh, you know, it's uh, repent and believe. I and mean, this is John the Baptist type of language is don't harden your hearts. And because as he lays it out so beautifully in chapter six, he's just like, here's all the gifts you have. This is all that you receive when you are with Christ. 
yes, there's thorns and thistles, and those will be burned up, but don't be one of the thorns and thistles. You know, it's all there for you. So today is a day to repent, and that's a good reminder to our listeners that, that that's what we all, that's not a call for um, some from relative who doesn't go to church anymore. That's a call to every one of us. Consider, Absolutely. Consider Jesus in chapter 3 as well. It says that. And so this is a real... Um, it's a you know when you when you start thinking about it when it points back to me then it becomes even more real. He's not telling someone else. He's telling me stay hold fast to this confession because you can fall away. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other thoughts there, Pastor, on those verses? Well, hey, we we spent a good amount of time on that. I think let's go on to nine because I think we're gonna. <laughs> see some encouragement and some gospel there. Well, I mean, you said you had all these notes. So I was expecting, I mean, we already got three early church fathers. I did, but you know, you know know how. (laughs) 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 Well, hey, you know, but the thing is, you got to be careful. You spend too much time on the law and all of a sudden you're going, we're out of time. Good to see you. We'll see you tomorrow. And we haven't gotten to the gospel. We don't want that to happen. That's true. We must let the gospel predominate. That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Here (laughs) we go. So verses nine through 12. As we continue, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I want to I want to just highlight this one word that I think really shows the transition where he's warning them, he's very tough on them. Um, but you know what, throughout this throughout this book, it's definitely he might be harsh, but he's doing it in a way that your grandfather would speak to you in a, in a very slow and, and wonderful way. I mean, he's not speaking like, oh, you're terrible, you're awful, let me tell you about this and that. But he does it in right. such wonderful words. Like I said, consider Jesus. You don't say that, you know, throwing rocks at people. You say that because you want to invite that person towards you. He does that in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, the law, yet in your case, he's definitely applying this to an individual or to the community, beloved, he says. And I think about mm-hmm. that in how he's addressing this, and that lays a groundwork for the rest of the verses. What are your thoughts on these verses? Oh, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. If he is, this is a, you know, sometimes we may struggle to see law gospel paradigm. These two groups of verses that we were just in and that we're in now, boy, it just jumps right out at you. Mm-hmm. He's just been very harsh, but I, I I do intentionally say it wasn't just law, like beating you up, like you said, it's warning. And here we're getting to encouragement and gospel. In your case, beloved, feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So I think you touched on something like this. You know what I just said? Don't be like that. Uh, And you don't need to be like that because who are you? You are those who are in Christ. You're baptized children of God. You're members of his body. And uh, so you have better things, the things of salvation. Uh, maybe a good question would be like, like what? What are these better things? Mm. Um, uh, and, and I'll, you know, maybe go back to your Norman Nagel chapel story. <laughs> like what? Yeah. 
Christ has gifts to give, word and sacrament, right? And so, so Christ has gifts to give. Come, get it. And in uh, in this, you can have what others before you and and others now have through faith and patience. You will inherit the promises of God. And and that word patience there is a really interesting one. Um, you know, Doctor Klein, you had him on early on at, when you when you were doing this book. Yep. Was... I'm not sure why you bothered having me on. Well, you know. <laughs> You should have just had him on for every chapter. Yeah, that, that guy, he didn't boy, tell. what a wonderful, faithful man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but he unpacks in his commentary the word uh, macrothumius. And patience really, as, as it's interpreted or translated in the ESV, doesn't necessarily do it justice. He, he unpacks that word and basically says, be good-tempered rather than short-tempered. And don't be irritable. Don't be a people. Be a people not easily provoked to anger, but optimistic. That's what this patience is. All that's under there. That's that. That's that uh, iceberg under the waterline stuff mm. with that word patience there. And I think that's a wonderful word there, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith, uh, inherit the promises, the assurance of hope. Uh, you know, until the end. And what a great message for us right now. Um, I think, uh, talked about this uh, with the saints at St. John this past weekend. We are in very angry times. These are difficult times. Uh, we're angry about our politics. Uh, we're uh, maybe rightfully angry because of racism. We're maybe... Uh, rightfully angry because we're maybe accused of being racist when we're not really at all. You know, maybe that's worth getting angry about too. Uh, maybe one person is angry because they're sick and tired of wearing masks. Another group's angry because people aren't wearing masks. Uh, one person's angry because they wish more people would get vaccinated. Uh, another person's angry because they're sick and tired of people telling them to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have so many things. Uh, that it's just a very angry time. And just talking even with people much older and wiser than me, they they kind of were agreeing that they don't remember a more angry time where people are just more angry. And uh, it's a difficult time. And yet that doesn't need to be us. We can consider who Jesus is and who he is for us, and who we are in Christ, and what he promises us, forgiveness and eternal life, that's the promises we inherit. If that's true, things may be going horribly wrong. People may be saying and doing things that are worthy of our anger. But for us, there's no need for that. Because instead, we can have faith and patience in knowing who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful peace can come over us knowing that. And that that encompasses exactly what he says. We feel sure of better things. The better things the better things is not a guarantee of, okay, vaccines are are X or that mass will never be part of our life or we'll never have another virus in our lives. We'll never have anger or something along those lines. But the better things 
is that it is it is Christ who gives us full assurance in a, in a world that doesn't give assurance, gives a lot of a vain hope, we would say, but the full assurance of hope until the end. I mean, that, that's I mean, you can't help but just think about how he pushes us to heaven and just says, there's a hope until the end. <laughs> when do we have hope? Now until then, you know, and then it goes on right. forever. I mean, he just, he's almost like a timeline. He's showing, okay, when can we have hope? Today, actually. Um, right. <laughs> said, and it goes everything until you're going to get, end. you have now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's, there's not less yeah, hope yeah, tomorrow. But, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's interesting because the next part's going to talk about Abraham and, uh, you know, for Abraham and in some ways for us, although we're much better off than Abraham was. You still live a life in faith. You're trusting in things that are unseen. And Abraham did that big time. Uh, and we have to do that to some extent, too. You know, we're promised eternal life, but we just had a funeral last week here at St. John. And so until these promises come to full fruition, we already have them, but we still look to what we're promised in faith. And we can do so with great hope, joy, even in the midst of such struggle. And so as we hear that, I think it's something I need to reflect on more as well. And this has been a theme throughout Hebrews, is that to find assurance of knowing that heaven is our home, if I can say it that way, according to the hymn, you know, it's a... That, that, that heaven is yet to come. Like, this is what I have to look forward to. And to be able to share, this is uh, chapter 4, I believe, when it talks about sharing in the heavenly blessings that we're sharing as a community, a fellowship of believers, um, of knowing that the hope is now and that the hope is in the future as well. And to be able to allow that to be the simplistic nature of where we find hope today, because who knows you know, we're, we're coming up on September 11th anniversary. Who knows mm-hmm. those kind of realities? Who knows um, right now the all the COVID restrictions and, 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 and trying to just filter through all of that is something that no matter who you are, we're struggling through that process. And to Absolutely. have, okay, we are in Christ. I think Dr. Gibbs at Concordia Seminary would say, you know, you're baptized and then just leave it. <laughs> you know, just you're baptized. And then you're like, He's right. That's who I am. And that's all the hope we have now and when Christ returns as well. I don't know. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, and I, I think it's it's okay to do that. On the other hand, we our baptism is such a blessing to us because we continue to embrace in faith the promises given in baptism. And I think that's in, in much part what the writer of the Hebrews is is getting at here. Listen keep trusting in, growing in, learning even more about, and being strengthened in who you are in Christ, what you've been given in baptism, and who he is for you. And as he, and not just baptism, too. We haven't really talked about it much, there's, but there's some allusions to the Lord's Supper, even here, tasting that the Lord is good, ah, yeah. you know, for example. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and some other things there, too. As we, These are those uh, better things, right? And so, even as Jesus is in heaven and we're being, you said, pushed toward heaven, uh, heaven is our home in the sense that that's where Jesus is. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but in the same sense, until we go there and await the resurrection to come, he also comes to us and uh, he's with us and he brings heaven to us. 
And man, as we do that in the divine service and receive that in the divine service of Christ as we gather for worship and word and sacrament, that what a beautiful thing that is for us to help keep us steadfast in difficult days. And he says in verse 7, receives a blessing from God. You know, those who have drunk the, the rain that it falls on receives a blessing from God. And that's something we need to think of, too. You're going to worship. You go into the Word of God. You're receiving that blessing from God, be knowing not he kind of showers it down like manna. You got to go get every day but yeah. Saturday, you know. I mean, it is showered upon us, poured into your hearts, and we receive that richness mm-hmm. still today. Um Great stuff. Pastor, Amen. anything else before we move to the last number of verses? Why don't we move on to the last number of verses? I think we'll it. touch on some more of those things. Yeah. Verse 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind this curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here, I, I love the language, promise, certainty of this promise. He brings in Abraham. Mm -hmm. He brings in Melchizedek, the unchangeable character of God's purpose. I mean, it is so much, as he talked about at the beginning of chapter 6, so many foundational realities that he preaches and teaches in these verses. Where do you want to begin? (laughs) Where do you start? Um, (laughs) Probably the best thing would be, yeah, he brings up Abraham there, right? But then I think one of the key phrases, too, is uh, saying... It goes back to Abraham, but it also goes back to what God said to Abraham. And uh, it brings about the whole idea of, you know, when God speaks something, it just plain is. It happens, and it is. We can go all the way back to Genesis 1, right, Uh, where he speaks, and that's how he brings creation into being. He brings life, right? Uh, You could go to Genesis 3, where uh, God had said something. And Adam and Eve didn't take it seriously and didn't do it. And uh, they found out just how serious God saying something is. But then God also, even even in the midst of that, of that struggle, gives a gospel promise. And then it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. So uh, when God says something, whether it's to Abraham or to us, we can trust that it is so. Period. Um and, and so that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind. And it's kind of a subtle way we're, we're reminded of that here. And we know that Abraham sees it that way too, because he waited patiently and obtained the promise. And his, his patience is incredible to think about, you know, continually God oh, said, you're going to have a child, you're, you're going to have a child and yeah. okay, all right, here we go. I'm not saying Abraham didn't have his moments <laughs> like we all do. 
um, and Sarah and, and so forth. And, and this is why you name your, your son Isaac, the, the, the laughter, right? Because you laugh at God and you did the same thing with your son named Isaac. Um, but it, it, it shows us the patience that God gives us a gift, right? I mean, you talked about that in the prior verses, but this is something not only that he says we should be, but also he gives it to us. I mean, it's just this constant God showering down upon us, not only salvation, but all the everything that we need in order to be holding fast to that confession he promises to give. And why would we say no to those things? And I think that's the promise that is encompassed in this. And I love the language. I want to hear more of your thoughts in verse 17 that the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, uh, he guaranteed it with an oath. Why is that so important for us to hear today, the unchangeable uh, well, nature of God and his oath? Well, that's great. And combining that with 16, I think it's, it's almost kind of funny. So uh, imagine, Brady, if you swore something by yourself, you know, by your name, I swear by Brady <laughs> that this, this will happen. And people would just look at you like you're nuts, right? right? right. Um, and because uh, that's not how people will will swear that something's true or going to happen or make an oath at all. You make an oath, as it's stated here, by someone that's higher. Well, there's no place higher God can go. And there's no place higher we would want him to go because of who he is, because of his una- unchangeable character and nature and his purpose. His purpose is life giver. He creates. And then even when his creation brings about death by being rebellious, he's already working to bring life again through Christ. Right. And, and you're right with Abraham, the life that he lives. I mean, the, if you look at the things that he's promised, yes, he eventually is given a son and he's tested with that, but he still trusts in God. And, uh, and yet he still lives a life of faith because the things that he's really promised, he never, he never stops living in a tent mm-hmm. his whole life. Right. And uh, so you're right. It's remarkable the patience and the trust that he has. And, uh, you know, we're told in other places, you know, he, he trusted in the pro he believed in the promise of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15 and Romans four. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he was actually, there were some things that were visible. Isaac, obviously, is a very visible aspect of, uh, of the promises. But yet, for the most part, he was trusting in things unseen. But he continued to do so for the rest of life. And he could, could do so because of who it was that made the promise. You know, uh, faith is only as strong as the one you place it in. So if there's faith in the one true God, boy, you, that's, even if it's a weak faith, it, it's still a good faith because it's, uh, it's, it's about who the faith is in. And if we're trusting in the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we can't go wrong, right? Because of these unchangeable things. And uh, that's who God is. Uh, I love the it's impossible for God to lie. Yeah, yeah. You know, that stands in contrast with what we know about Satan. Uh, Jesus' own words in John 8. You know, there's the old joke about uh, how do you know when a politician's lying? You know, or his, his lips are moving, right? <laughs> and 
And I won't attach that to any person or party because I just talked about how angry you tend to get about politics right now, right? Uh, but, you know, hey, somebody I suppose could make that that joke about a pastor too, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But, but the point is, the only time that's actually really true is if you make that joke about Satan. Right. How do you know when Satan's lying? His lips are moving. He's incapable of telling the truth. Well, the, the opposite is true of God. He's incapable of lying. So if God has promised you something, I forgive you. You have eternal life. You will be raised on the last day to live forever. Guess what? No matter what we're experiencing, what we're going through, no matter how the evidence uh, that we're experiencing now speaks against it, guess what? God's no liar. You have those promises, and they will come to full fruition because of who God is and what he's promised you through Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful language, and you've captured it so so beautifully, is the unchangeable nature of God, the impossibility of him lying, because we don't have that assurance anywhere else in this world that, 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 um, that we can flee to the Lord because the hope that is set before us. And it uses such strong language of hope and steadfast anchor and so forth. In verse 19 and 20, is it speaks even more so about this. Like I said, the steadfast anchor of the soul and hope of the inner place behind the curtain. And then he gets to Jesus, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So here he talks about anchor and Jesus and Melchizedek. Now, a little precursor to that. Next, Our next show would, would be on, on, on Melchizedek, chapter 7. We're going to get into that big time, so we don't need a whole um, view from the early church fathers on Melchizedek from Pastor Sims today, but it is something maybe we need to touch on. So, Pastor, as we look at those last few verses, he gives us that hope and anchor, and what is he telling us right at the end, as you've already told us, and now can continue and grow from there? What do you think? Is that what you call preemptive editing? When you give a lead-in like that, so that I won't, so I won't go in a. <laughs> sure, that's what I no. only for you. Uh, only for you. Uh, hey, that works because I know this is kind of a Melchizedek sandwich, chapter six, exactly. because you got him before and then you got him after. So I, I will let the next person handle Melchizedek. Although I'm, it's, I'm fascinated by that story, but I'm not gonna. I'm yeah. not going to go there either. So, um, but yeah, the, the steadfast anchor of the soul uh, and the assurance uh, that we have um, entering into the inner place behind the curtain. I mean, what what image or what story comes to mind regarding Jesus when you hear that about behind the curtain? Anything well, come to mind? Well, I'm, I'm assuming the resurrection, but I, you know, I, that's where my mind goes. Oh, the death of Jesus, excuse me, the death of Jesus and the the curtain. Yeah, Matthew 27, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You see, that's the thing. That curtain kept us separate from God. And Jesus, the ultimate high priest, both the sacrifice E and the sacrifice Er, as the, as the, the ultimate high priest, he opens that up. So it may not be a reference to the Holy of Holies, but it certainly seems to be to the sanctuary, right? right. And we even have uh, things that point us to to not only is Christ there in heaven and goes before us and saves us a spot, <laughs> to kind of paraphrase some things that he says in John uh, and other parts of the Gospels, but there's also a great assurance for us now. Um, Dr. Klein, I think rightly so, sees allusions to what's happening in the divine service now 
okay? And uh, he brings up uh, the alternate uh, confession and absolution from divine service setting three, where the wording actually is, uh, because we're sinners, therefore we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And right there in 18, you had fled for refuge. But then what happens right after that? Where our sins are forgiven, then we have the intro, and not all pastors and churches do this, and that's fine. But one of the images and one of the visuals that is a very powerful one, I think, that's very subtle, people may not even pick up on it. Sometimes the pastor will be in front for confession and absolution, then he approaches the altar during the intro. And the message is, Having our sins forgiven, we can be in the very presence of God and of Christ. Mm. And in this divine service, at this altar, in this place, heaven's going to come down. Jesus is going to bring it to us in word and sacrament, in confession and absolution, in the word, the preached word, and especially uh, in the Lord's Supper as well. And, uh, And that's just a beautiful image that may be painted here in Hebrews that echoes all the way down to our time now and is still happening every time we gather around Word and Sacrament. That is our time. Pastor Tim Sims from St. John Lutheran Church and School in Chester, Illinois, strengthening us by God's Word. Pastor Sims, thank you again for being our guest. What a privilege. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, keep growing in Christ. We start with the foundation, which is a steadfast anchor of the soul and the hope of the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is the forerunner for us. And as we'll learn tomorrow about Melchizedek and what that means for us today. But we know that it is impossible for God to lie. It's also impossible for God not to be one to share grace with us. Thanks be to God, and I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.